Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans. Whether this is your first time joining us or your 89th episode with us, thank you so much for tuning in. I am your host, Jerry Wan, and it is my pleasure to share with you today's episode featuring the legendary Sheena Yap Chan, the hostess of the Tao of Self-Confidence podcast, which earlier this year surpassed the million download mark. Um, today is the middle of December here on December 16th, um, and in just 11 days, we're going to be celebrating our very first Asian Podcast Awards, um, a group uh, hosted by the Asian Podcast Network, a group that I founded six months ago to bring the global Asian podcasting community together. And while we're not eligible to win any awards, because um, I host the show and host the awards, um, we want you to join us. Join us on December 27th in the afternoon Pacific Coast time, or Pacific Standard Time, rather, um, as we give out some awards to some very deserving, very amazing Asian podcasters. So head over to AsianPodcastAwards.com or join us at the Asian Podcast Network group on Facebook to learn more about how you can join us then. Thanks so much. And now here now is my conversation with Shino. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Asian Americans, wherever you are and whenever you may be listening to us. We wish you all the health, safety and happiness in the world. You should be listening to this sometime in, at, towards the end of 2020, and it's been a hell of a year. Um, and, and as all things point to, um, whether you are in the States or in Canada, as our guest is today, we're not out of the woods yet. We're certainly not headed in the right direction. So please take care of yourself. Stay home. I know it's hard. It's been eight plus months of uh, not living our lives as, as we once thought was uh, the norm. So uh, take care of yourselves. And um you know, think of different and innovative ways to spend time with family this winter, as you probably should not be traveling or having a bunch of house parties. So, you know, I'm really excited to feature our guest today. If you've been listening to podcasts for any amount of time and are a fan of Asian American or Asian voices in the podcasting world, you've heard of our guest today. Um, she has now produced and created more than 800 episodes of her show, The Tao of Self-Confidence. Uh, most recently, she passed the 1 million download mark, which is a big effing deal, not from a numerical perspective, but just her consistency and her drive and the relatability that it shares us with uh, or that teaches us um, in her audience. So uh, joining us from Canada is Sheena Yap Chan. Hi, Sheena. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. I am so excited uh, to talk. Um, always a treat when we get to talk to fellow podcasters. And in particular, you've been running your show for more than five years. And so I would say that for there's probably less than a half of a percent of current shows that have been around since that time. And so I'm um, really looking to learn about your process, your mindset, your uh, vision, and what really drives you to continue to produce hundreds, almost a thousand shows. Because if you produce podcasts, you know that it's not easy. You know, uh, this is episode 80 something for us, and it's been quite a journey. So uh, to 10x that work, it's mind blowing. And it's crazy to think that um, you, you've done all that consistently over the last five years. So really, really looking forward to uh, learning more about all of that to help us better understand uh, where you are now and where you're going in the future. Sheena, would love to learn about your origin story and your family's uh, migration story to North America. So tell us about the Yap Chan family's journey over to Canada. and. Um, you know, where did you guys land? When was it? And uh, tell us a little bit about the early days. For sure. So, you know, me and my family were born in the Philippines and my parents always wanted a better life for us and, you know, wanted more opportunities for us. And that's why they decided to move to Canada. It's so funny because I remember back then when my parents told me we're moving to Canada, I was like, I was always like, why are we, what's, where's Canada? Why are we going to America? Because, you know, on TV, all you see is America. No one's ever talked about Canada, but you know, they were like, it's just like America. <laughs> so, you know, we, we moved there in 1989. We moved to Toronto, Canada. Um, we had a uh, an acquaintance who's now one of our closest friends kind of took us in while we were just starting to, you know, start over again, basically, right? My parents had to start from scratch. You know, um, back then in the Philippines, we had, you know, maids and drivers did things for us. My mom had to basically learn every single skill that she's done today, you know, learning to cook in her 30s, learning to, you know, drive and stuff like that. And I remember, you know, like a couple weeks back thinking about that. And I realized like, 
you know, she's such a great example of like, you can start a new skill at any age and it's never too late. And starting over does, you know, you can start over anytime because a lot of us feel like we can't start over, like it's the end of the world. And especially when you're Asian, right? It's like, everything's the end of the world. But um, just seeing her being able to just pick, pick things back up, pick things up herself because she had no choice. And, she, you know, today, like she's one of the best cooks. Um, you know, she's, she's, she's just phenomenal. And, you know, growing up in Canada, um, it was great. But for me, I never, I always was kind of ashamed of being Asian, especially, you know, when you see TV shows and like magazines, all you see are like women with beautiful blonde hair and blue eyes and white skin. And because of that, I wanted to name myself Heather and have blonde hair and blue eyes because that's what I thought the standard of beauty was uh, living in Canada at the time. You know, this is like late 90s, uh, late 80s, early 90s. So now you know how old I am. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I just never wanted to be Asian because of that. I mean, it was just crazy. Like I never saw anybody that looked like me. The first time I ever saw a TV show that had an all Asian cast was All American Girl with Margaret Cho. And mm. then, you know, I, I realized, wow, there is, <laughs> you know, there is someone that finally looks like me, but I mean, it wasn't enough back then, right? Representation was very, very minimal. Um, even till this day, it's still not, we're still very underrepresented, but it's slowly increasing. And so, yeah, growing up, you know, it's just like, I guess your typical family, you know, went to school. My parents had jobs, um, you know, even in high school, me and my sisters went to look for a part-time job because if we ever wanted something, you know, my mom would be like, you need to start, you know, earning your own money. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, if you ever watch Fresh Off the Boat, I think some parts of that is kind of relatable because like any Asian parents, they were pretty cheap as well. Till this day, I'll never eat a Whopper because my dad would used to like cut 99 cent Whopper coupons and that would be like our treat. And every time I would ask him if I could have a chicken sandwich from Burger King, it would be a no because it wasn't part of the 99 cent coupon. So, you know, little things like that. I'm sure, you know, your audience can relate. There's something that your parents have done that was just like pretty cheap. And I understand why they had to do that because, you know, they're starting from scratch. They want to make sure that they have more than enough to keep afloat, right? But it was just like, I'll never eat a Whopper again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you, you you share a lot of stories that many of us can, you know, resonate with, um, you know, starting with sort of this adjustment from the life that we knew, uh, quote unquote, back home. And I, and I put it in quotes because I wonder if we ever did go back, you know, in, in our current states, if we'd be uh, considered a local or considered, you know, one of one of the community members, which I think it's really hard to imagine that it's it's a world that we can't really go back to uh, the way that our parents had left it, and to you sharing some stories of how you know uh, difficult life was, um, particularly you know as an Asian person uh, back a couple of decades ago, and so with Toronto as we know it today is a relatively diverse city, uh, probably the most diverse, one of the most diverse metropolitan areas in the world. What were some of your other Asian or empowering influences around you? Were there older kids in your neighborhood? How did you view yourself from that light? I think going to high school here too. I mean, the high school that I went to, it was very diverse. Even though everyone had their little group or clique or whatever you say, um, we were still able to like get along with one another regardless of our cultural background or religious backgrounds. And I think that was the first time I realized how multicultural Tor Toronto was, just seeing that even though we have our own culture, we can still talk to people from different backgrounds and get along and not argue about, you know, like meaningless things. And if we do argue, it's, it's out of like fun, right? Not like a heated argument when it turns into a really bad fight. It's just like out of fun and we just all got along. And so, yeah, I mean, because I went to high school in the Philippines and in Toronto. Um, we moved back mm. to the Philippines when I was 13 because my grandfather was sick at the time. And it's a, a huge difference, right? Because in the Philippines, I went to an all-girls school uh, versus here, it's a co-ed school. <laughs> and the, the all-girls school was run by nuns, right? So, mm. you know, women had to act a certain way because it's how we, we were labeled, right? We're brought up to act a certain way, to be more ladylike, to be this and that. And I, sometimes I don't even know what 
who came up with the term like ladylike, like who decided that women are supposed to act this way, right? Because of sometimes Men. like these, yeah, maybe <laughs> because sometimes <laughs> these silly notions really hurt us, right? And that's why so right. many women are struggling with themselves because if they don't act a certain way, they don't feel like they're enough or they're not worthy. And so, yeah, I mean, just, you know, even just moving back and forth was such a big adjustment, right? Because even though I am from the Philippines, I still didn't really know anybody. I wasn't really close to my family back then. And, you know, making new friends was hard. <laughs> you know, you're in the school by yourself. Luckily, I had a family friend who lived in Canada who moved back and we went to high school together in the Philippines. And so I wasn't that alone, but it was still felt really awkward because you're starting a new school, you're meeting new people. You're also in an all-girls school. Like, you don't know what to expect. <laughs> But luckily, I met really great people that I'm still friends with today, like really great friends with. And then, you know, you go to a different setting of high school where it's co-ed and different cultures. And it's it's um, it was it was the same thing. You know, I still felt like like I had to start over again. I had to make new friends again, <laughs> you know, but I think that experience taught me how to just learn to adjust to new uh, new environments. Right. A lot quicker. Because if I didn't move back and forth halfway across the world, I mean, it would take me a lot harder to adjust to something new. What would you want to be when you were growing up? Because you had a unique experience of uh, being here or in North America and then going back. Um, obviously, as with many of our cultures and um, communities, we, we value family um, to the point that you guys moved back when your grandfather was sick, um, which is something that's not very common in other parts of the world. Um, Given all that influence and sort of your surroundings and your family, what did you want to be? What did you aspire to be when you grew up? To be honest, when I was younger, I didn't aspire to be anything. I actually didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think at the time, I just wanted to do what I was told to do, which was to go to school, get a job, and just like work till you're 60, <laughs> you know, because that's what you're told to do. And so I did that. I mean, I, I, I found a job worked there for 12 years and like I didn't and I like I knew it wasn't for me like I just sometimes would sit in my desk and think I I couldn't see myself working till I'm 60 in a cubicle it just it just I don't know it just like felt like I was trapped I don't know if that you've if you ever experienced that um so yeah I mean that's that's what I did I even took accounting because I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm pretty good at math <laughs> as an Asian person. I know very stereotypical, but even then I tried to take my certification to be an accountant and I just like kept looking at the spreadsheet and I'm like, I can't do this for another 10 years to get just to get a cer certification. And I, I quit that because I just looked at it and just like kind of like saw these numbers popping up in like my face and I was like, I can do it. Like it just, it wasn't for me. And I was like, I didn't want to have to like, study all night just so I could get the certification. And it's like, is this something that I really want? And so I had to, I decided to just quit it, <laughs> even though it was like the path most people would probably do, or like you're told mm. to do by your parents, because it's like a profession that's like approved of. <laughs> right. No, I think we, we fall into, I almost said trap and maybe I should say that trap. I think it's just, it's understandably so because from where we come Stability and safe paths are what worked. Yeah. But different country, literally different generation and different corporate context, you know, just the Western capitalistic view on things doesn't value loyalty as much as some of the Asian values. And, and those are also um, represented greatly in the corporate context where, you know, Asian companies don't really fire people. They take care of you, you take care of them. And it's this long term relationship, but it's not the case here. Money, money over a lot of different things. So we know what you do now, but I'm curious to understand if at any point in your education or that first part of your career, was there always a burning desire to share stories or was there a moment of light bulb where, where you said, I need to create something that helps me make sense of the world that I'm living in. Well, I think the first time was what I mentioned, like just picturing myself here, thinking like, am I going to work here till I'm 60? Like, I just couldn't see myself doing that. And I felt like I could do more, but I just didn't know how. And because I just followed the path, I didn't think I could do it. I just thought I wasn't capable. 
especially like when you're a, a woman working in an office setting surrounded by men, it can like really like sometimes bring down your confidence because, you know, as like in that work setting, sometimes they don't take you seriously or you have to work a hundred times harder just to be taken seriously. So it's not always an easy thing. And um, I think the moment that I realized, like, you know, I really need to live life for myself was when my aunt passed away. Uh, she passed away almost 10 years ago from a horrific accident. And it just made me realize how short life is. Like we could really be gone at any given moment. You just never know. Like, you know, especially in 2020, there's so many deaths that happen unexpectedly. It just, it's just a huge wake up call. Like, you know, my aunt was, you know, fortunate enough to do a lot of things in her fifties that most people in their twenties would dream of doing. And a lot of people gave her flack because everyone kept telling her she was too old to do that. But for her, like, she enjoyed her life. She wanted to have that quality of life, right? And she did it regardless of what people told her. And I think, yeah, like her death was just a wake up call. Like, okay, you know, you, you realize like life is so short and anything can happen. And so now is the time for you to just start living life for yourself. And of course it didn't happen overnight. You know, we still, I was still scared, <laughs> you know, cause I was like, as Asians, we're so afraid of the unknown. We're so unafraid of not having stability not having like a set path. And that scared me a lot too, because I was like, especially when you're branching into like entrepreneurship, you're not going to get a steady paycheck all the time. And, you know, sometimes the first couple of years you're going to fail or you try something, attend, you try 10 different things and they all fail. And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> next. And so, you know, I really had to work on myself and even just believe in myself that I was capable of doing it because I, you know, there's still moments in my life where I just look at something and I'm like, I can't be like that person or I don't think I'm good enough to be like on stage or to talk on a podcast or to write an article, um, you know, because of how I was brought up and how like, you know, sometimes society puts like has these labels for for women, especially for Asian women, right? There's so many labels sometimes. It's just, it's just a shame. I remember reading this article like in China if you're like 25 and single, you're considered a leftover. <laughs> and I'm like, well, why can't I just say they're like amazing women? Why do we have to have the this label of leftover? And, right. you know, these are women who are like super educated and have really great jobs, but yet because they're not married, they're considered a leftover. And in Japan, there's an, they have their own term. It's like, it's called fruitcake because nobody likes fruitcake after the holidays or something. So it's like a leftover. Um, so, I mean, it, it took a lot of me just learning to work on myself and surrounding myself with, you know, like-minded people. And, you know, it didn't happen overnight. It happened gradually. And yeah, I mean, like some of the things I started doing was like, I sold all my things and decided to just like travel. It, it wasn't even something that I thought over. It just like kind of happened and just had this feeling like this needs to be done. And I didn't even know where it was going to take me, but I knew I had to do it anyway because of that, I was able to like live in Hawaii for like two winters. <laughs> which I never thought was ever possible. And being able to go back home to the Philippines just to spend more time with my grandmas because they're both still alive, you know, that was grateful. And just being able to even travel around Asia, like go to places like Vietnam and Thailand and Bali. I never knew that was possible because, you know, back then no one ever teaches you to like go out there and live your own life, right? Nobody tells you to be, to, nobody tells you like to go outside your path and try to find something that you want to do. It's more like, you need a job, you need a steady paycheck, you need to save up your money for a rainy day. <laughs> I think the overwhelming theme is we've been taught to live in a world of shoulds. And when you live in a world of shoulds, it's hard to do what you want, right? Whether it is that 25-year-old single person who, who's, whose value, is, whose self-esteem is impacted by somebody else's expectations because somebody said that they should, that's really unfortunate because Life is not that way. And who are we to judge anybody else's experience? But I think it also speaks to uh, the generally more monolithic perspectives that exist in Asian cultures. Everybody should be doing this or, you know, and, and I think the diversity of North America really changes that perspective where autonomy and independent values are more prevalent here and even more taught. And so I, I think a lot of us struggle with that balance of how do we honor, but, you know, respect both sides of, uh, of the equation when it comes to cultural expectations and cultural norms. 
Let, let's talk about you starting this podcast. Let's roll it back five plus years. You started this in September of 2015. When did you actually have the idea for it? And what sparked that idea? Well, I've always, I've always wanted to empower women or like help women out there. I just didn't know how. And to be honest, when I first started podcasting, I didn't even know what a podcast was. I just always saw it on Apple, but I had no clue what it was. Like there's that little section on iTunes that says podcast. And I'm like, what's a podcast? <laughs> and so, you know, I had to like invest in a course to know what it was about and how to set it up and just surrounding myself with a community of other podcasters, because it was a really, it's, it was like a gift for me because if it wasn't for them, the show would probably not exist. I was always trying to find a platform to elevate women's voices, especially Asian women's voices. And I knew like having a blog was not it or just doing video was not it. And that's when podcasting, you know, just came to me, right? Because it's like these audios that you can download at any given moment. You can listen to them when you're jogging or stuck in traffic or even just giving your kids a bath. And I was like, that's something that I want. I want people to be able to listen to it while they're busy doing stuff because, you know, everyone lives a busy life, right? Everyone's either working or doing something else or you know, working out, stuck at traffic, stuck in the subway, <laughs> lining up for a sandwich, whatever, right? I want this to be c convenient for them to listen, not like mm -hmm. have to like stare at a phone to watch a YouTube video. Um, and so that's when I started podcasting. But even though I started this new platform, I was really scared because this was something that was really new to me. And, you know, I still had all these, you know, moments of self-doubt. I was like, are people going to like me? Are they, are, do they think my voice is weird? I'm going to, am I going to sound funny? Is this podcast going to fail? And I delayed it so many times until someone to, like told me, a friend told me was like, just put it out there. Cause you never know. Like if it fails, it fails. At least, you know, versus not knowing. And back then, um, I actually had a different name for this podcast. So I wanted to name this podcast The Stripper because my tagline was to strip your limiting beliefs away. And so I hired <laughs> a graphic, yeah. <laughs> so I hired a graphic designer to create a podcast uh, cover art for it. And it was literally a stripper with a whip. And so the same course that I took to set up this podcast, you know, I asked them for feedback on my cover. And of course, my response wasn't the greatest, right? Their reaction. They're like, you're going to give them the wrong idea. You know, this isn't the right way to do it. You just need to go back to the drawing board. And then because a lot of them said it wasn't great, I was like, okay, I'm a failure. Like, I can't even get the name right. How am I even going to get the show right? And that's when I had really had to sit down and dig deep and realize, like, why am I doing this podcast? And that's how the name, The Tao of Self-Confidence came out. Had I not asked them for that, that feedback, this show probably would have bombed and I would have attracted a different kind of um, audience. <laughs> and so that really taught me to be really clear versus being clever. Because the more clear you are, the more you're going to attract the right people to, you know, your show, to the opportunities, you know, just everything just makes a big difference. I, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you had a branding change because I think <laughs> it, it would certainly would have attracted a different demographic there. What was your show like in its infancy? What did you want to achieve? What was the format like? And then has it evolved through the years? Well, you know, when I first started, I really thought it was hard to get Asian women to share their stories on the podcast. And so I started with, you know, interviewing women from all backgrounds, every culture. You know, I just asked them if they wanted to be in a podcast. Whoever said yes, I interviewed them. And then, you know, as I kept interviewing all these women, like, a part of me really wanted it focus on Asian women because for me, I really wanted to have a support system for Asian women when it comes to confidence issues because I never had that growing up and I wish I had something like that. And also just representation. There's no representation. So I really wanted to create that representation. I know a lot of us complain, we don't have enough representation. We don't have enough representation. But in order for us to change that is we have to start being the representation. And so people don't realize just because you start a show doesn't mean it won't change. It evolves, right? It evolves along the way and people will notice that. And that's when I decided, okay, from then on, I'm just going to start interviewing Asian women. I don't care if it's 10 times harder, I'm going to do it because my, my main thing was to elevate Asian women's voices, to have a support system for Asian women. And that actually happened probably like in the middle of the first season. <laughs> I made that switch. I think it's so fascinating you bring that up because I, 
this show, obviously. It's a show for and by Asian Americans. Most of the other projects that I work on, we are unapologetically Asian in our, not just our guests, but also our audience, right? And I think it took a long time for me too to really be okay with being unabashedly authentic in who I am and who I want to have on my shows. And it is a delicate balance and a difficult decision for people to arrive to, quote unquote, give up the larger pie, to walk away from what is perceived to be the larger market of everybody, um, especially if you're talking about women or if you're talking about doctors, or if you're talking about these other identifying traits that far exceed the bigger Asian American pie. But talk to me a little bit more about that decision because I Obviously, I believe in the power of niching down as much as you can, not from starting to make a lot more business sense and it's starting to be proven on the business end of there is power in speaking directly to the Asian audience. But it has to start with if you're going to go through the pain and the stress and the hard work of creating a platform, who are you going to let onto your sacred stage? Was there a guest that sort of like rubbed you the wrong like? How how did you go from that? Like, how did you get to the point of deciding that you wanted to be an unapologetically Asian show? I get a lot of requests from from all different backgrounds, from men. And I just tell them straight up the truth. You know, I tell them I only interview Asian women to serve as a platform for them or a support system and to create a better representation and a stronger representation. And I tell them, I hope you understand. If not, it's not the end of the world. Most of them, actually, to be honest, every time I say that, everyone understands. They understand. They said, no problem. In fact, sometimes they even recommend me guests. <laughs> so, you know, I think when you just speak your vision and your mission and your purpose, people will understand, people will see it. I mean, you know, a prime example is Crazy Rich Asians. I was reading an article, even though it's very, the, the whole story is about Crazy Rich Asians living in Singapore. You think their biggest audience would be Asian people? Actually, their biggest readers are white women from like 20 to 45 or something (laughs) because they're so into the culture and like the fashion. And if you ever read the books, like uh, Kevin Kwan's very descriptive in, in the, you know, in every situation of the book. And so, you know, just because you're focusing on like your own culture doesn't always mean that it'll just be stuck to one culture. Like other cultures won't would would want to know what you're doing or would want to be are just curious of like what's your culture like right, right. and sometimes we we have similarities that we, you never even know existed you know right. especially as you know people of color we still go through a lot of things like not having enough representation not seeing someone that looks like us even growing up not having enough representation you know still feeling like we need to be a, a blonde hair blue-eyed girl named heather <laughs> uh, hip-hop was the same way. If, if you looked at who bought uh, back when we sold CDs, you know, if, if you looked at purchasing patterns of hip hop CDs back in the 90s, they were all like middle of the country white kids. And so the perception is that there to say like minority or like ethnic media is catered towards people who look like the host or people who look like the, you know, the people on stage. I, I think that's false. Um, there's a lot of curiosity around our shared experiences. I think also 2020 has been a fantastic year for other people to join us in fighting for representation, you know, in the, in the form of allies. So I think that's really, really fantastic. Was there at any point you wanted to quit because 800 episodes is quite a feat. Five years and a few months is a long time. What kept you going? Was there a point you wanted to quit? Yeah, there's many days where I wanted to quit. (laughs) (laughs) There's days where I wanted to throw my laptop against the wall because I, the technology part was just such a huge frustration for me, but, you know, just seeing like listeners actually sending me message of how this podcast really helped them, helped me kept going. Even just the things that a guest would go through just to be in the, on the podcast, like I never even knew, um, just made me want to keep going. Uh, I just remember one girl sharing her story, how, you know, it was like one of her manifestations to be like on the show. And I, I didn't know that to be honest, <laughs> And like she shared a story how she wanted to be like perfect and like even bought a mic just so like she could have like a really great interview. And like, I guess something bad happened, had to reschedule it. But she went through like a lot of things just to like be on the show. And I didn't even know that. And, you know, just hearing what she went through just makes me appreciate like, you know, there are people out there whose voices want, you know, who wants like 
there's people out there who want to share their story and, you know, want to share it in a way that can help people out there. What was the trajectory like? Um, We know that growth of any medium in content creation is never linear. Um, It starts small and then, you know, you have spikes of growth. I guess the blunt question is, how did you keep yourself motivated in the early days when I imagine that the listeners weren't, the listens or the downloads weren't as robust as they are today? Well, I just knew that I'm just starting and I know I can't expect big things. I just know I'm building towards something and that it will pay off later on. And, you know, when you're podcasting for five years, you learn a lot of new things, right? You know, a lot of people say you have, you become, you become better at speaking, right? You become at better at editing or production, you know, that you, you wear so many hats now, right? You can be a host, a producer, an editor, a speaker, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and so I just kept going because I knew where I was going and I always went back to why I was doing it. And this, this is why having a huge purpose is very important because there's days where you really want to quit and feel like, is this even worth doing? And so you have to go back and realize, why are you doing this, right? Are you doing this to help someone out there or are you doing this so you want to be popular? And so you have to be like, you know, even if I have a hundred downloads, it's better than no downloads. And I know I'm helping someone out there. As long as I can help one person realize their worth, then I'm good. Because you never know where that one person can go. Imagine if you help someone like Sandra Oh, (laughs) right? And like, look where she is now. What if you help someone just like her? You, You just never know. Sometimes it just takes one person to change your life. Yeah, I think it's just, it's hard, right? I think it's okay to just admit that it's hard when you don't get the external validation points that while we'd like to think that they don't matter as much, they sort of keep us going. Was there a moment for you? Was was there a particular guest that made you feel like, I'm never going to stop doing this? There's actually a lot of guests. I mean, I remember in my early days, I interviewed a lady, um, an Asian lady who is a Christmas song artist and all she wants to do is write and sing Christmas songs. And can you imagine being a Christmas song artist? Christmas comes like, what, two months out of the year, really? And, you know, it wasn't easy for her to become one. She basically had to set up her own record company to represent herself. And because of, because she, this was her passion and like something she's always, always wanted to do. She is now a Christmas song artist. And she also got signed in other countries like the Philippines. Because if, you, if you're if you from the Philippines, you know, we celebrate we celebrate Christmas six months to the year. Or when the Burr months come, <laughs> it's Christmas. <laughs> so, you know, just seeing her made me realize, wow. And yeah, you look at, you look at stories like that, you're like, wow, you know, so she's so lucky. No, she's not lucky. She just made it happen. She pushed through it no yeah. matter what obstacles came in her way. Another lady that I interviewed was, she's known as the world's first armless pilot because she was born with no arms. And just seeing her being able to surf, to drive, to do everything with her feet is really inspiring, right? Because a lot of us, we feel like we're defined by our weaknesses, but really that's all in our head. Like if we really want to do something, we should go out and do it. I even interviewed another lady who was born without legs. And I remember in the interview, she was saying how one of the things she likes to do is to skateboard. And her only reason why she wants to skateboard is because she likes it. And I wish more people can just say it like that. Like she never said, I don't have legs, so I can't skateboard. She said, I wanted to skateboard because I like to skateboard. She, ne- she never let um, not having legs define who she is. And she just, you know, now she, 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 she loves to skateboard. She's a model. She's an actress. Um, she's a motivational speaker because she kept pushing through despite her challenges, despite her, um, you know, disabilities. I don't want to say disabilities. I'm just trying to find another word, but you know, whatever her shortcomings are, she pushed through it. Yeah. And it's through that storytelling that obviously is the engine that drives our show here and, and your show as well is that we don't care to have all household names on the show. I actually think they don't make the best stories. It, it's to bring on a variety of shows to the tune of hundreds because we don't know who our audience is going to resonate with. Right. And Everybody's story really matters. And going back to something that we talked about earlier, Sheena, is that we don't really get asked to share our story. And so is it not our job and our obligation and our honor really to ask these people to come and share their stories because who's who else is asking them, right? And it's unfortunate 
um, that the media landscape in North America as it stands and has always stood really doesn't provide ample stages or opportunities for Asian folks to share their stories, particularly to an audience that fully understands a lot of the basic cultural and societal things that just we know. Let's talk a little bit about the not holistic side of podcasting and, and you building this thing to where it has. Earlier this year, you hit that you know million download mark. You, you got a lot of praise for it. A lot of people celebrated with you. And then they look at the catalog and go, holy shit, there's 800 plus episodes. What is the business side of things? What is, how has this changed your life from that angle? Because to, to quantify the number of hours that went into creating that you know, catalog of content is ridiculous. How has this changed your life? It's changed a lot, right? Because first of all, I never even knew I could hit a million dollars when I first, a million downloads when I first started. Um, <laughs> being listened in like 150 countries is r ridiculous, you know, because I just never thought it was possible for me. And to hit that was really great. And, you know, I never really saw value in it until somebody else saw value in it. They're like, you have this many people listening to your podcast. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, we got to do something about this. And that's why now we're starting to find other platforms to elevate, you know, Asian women's voices to become more visible. You know, um, I, like I mentioned to you earlier, Jerry, we are creating, you know, a book series where we're going to highlight Asian women's stories and how they're able to, you know, forge their own path and thrive. One of them is called Asian Women Who Boss Up, which I co-created with another person and another one I'll be featured in is Women of Color Who Boss Up. And these are very important because how many how many books featuring Asian people do you see on Amazon? None. <laughs> it's, it's either very none or next, not, yeah. next to nothing. And so this is very important. We really, really need to showcase that, showcase that so that other women and other Asian girls can realize that if she can do it, so can I. It all, And this is the only reason why I really want representation. I want little Asian girls to look up to an, another person that looks like them and has similar you know, features and realize like if they can do it, I can do it. It just takes one person. I also don't want everyone thinking that all Asian people are just good at math. You know, after interviewing 700, over 700 Asian women, there's so many careers and I've heard that I never knew was possible. I remember one girl, she was a coach for uh, romance novel authors. But it's it's like, I didn't even know you could do that. But you never know unless you ask someone, right? Or you never know unless someone shares their story and what they do. You know, some people travel, some people are speakers, some people have their own businesses, some people are creative. And so I like to showcase Asian people with many talents. Or we're very multifaceted. We're not just, you know, stuck to our stereotypes. There's uh, There's so much value in what you just shared. I think there's, yeah, it's just, we need to continue to provide opportunities for people to share their story. If you are an Asian person who goes through the pain and the hard work of creating a platform, you know, who, who's, who are you creating that platform for? Who are you going to have on your shows to elevate the voices that sound like yours? Um, and for people, you know, that's part of the reason I started this show as well. I've been an avid listener of podcasts for many, many years. And I found myself leaning on a bunch of white guys in my ear all the time. And I said, why? And, and, and something about this doesn't hit right. Something about this doesn't, you know, resonate with me as much as somebody else would. And so I know the content was great, right? Um, advice content, life content, storytelling is great. But contextually, what is different about our own unique experiences of being Asian in this country or just being Asian globally, can we focus on and to share contextually relevant advice and storytelling? And so, you know, just like, you know, many people do, I looked around and I was like, okay, I can finitely count the number of Asian podcasts that exist today. That's a problem. I can go to a bookstore or go on Amazon and count finitely how many books there are on leadership and mindset and motivation and life written by Asian folks. That's a problem. Why it's a problem is that we're 60% of the world's population. Though we are much, much smaller in number here in North America, globally, we are the majority. And so why are we not giving opportunities for ourselves to teach our own people? And for me, as far as I'm concerned, the amplification of our voice is not the detriment or the muting of other people's voices. The pie is big enough, it can continue to grow, but we have to understand that um, people who have a unique experience, whether you're an immigrant or another identifying trait 
you have to get advice from people who look like you and people who've been through that because otherwise it's just, it can become almost quite offensive to tell somebody with a distinct born disadvantage that they just have to work harder or that, you know, they should do one of three things many times, which are not available to everybody. And so that's why I love your show so much. I think it's, you're unapologetically and very authentically speaking to an audience. And let's even break down the gender barrier within the Asian, Asian American community. It's been harder for women. It's because of all the stereotypes and because of lack of access and because of cultural norms on both sides that say, just keep your head down, don't speak, do all the meek activities that we expect you to do. And, you know, look at who's running the world now. There's so many badass Asian women out there. And, and even in those roles, how many of them are getting actually asked to come and share their stories on platforms like yours and mine and be, you know, being into being made into magazine covers and the like, the short answer is not enough. And so how are we to then expect our daughters and our nieces to grow up into confident women who see themselves in anything and everything that is feasible? It starts with us inviting these people to come and share their stories, whether it's through the podcast medium, whether it's through whatever you're working on to continue to amplify these voices. Um, because as you've continually said, you don't know who it's going to hit. You don't know how it's going to hit them. And in fact, you don't know when it's going to hit them. And that's the beauty of podcasting is that you can have 800 plus episodes out into the universe, you know, and somebody can listen to a 2016 episode of yours today and have their lives changed. And you might be thinking, oh, I vaguely remember doing that because it was four plus years ago, but it can still change lives. And so it's really, really exciting. And, you know, and I've said this to you many, many times, but thank you for doing what you do. You inspire so many of us to create stories and um, particularly in a way that is unapologetically about who you want to serve and who you want to uplift. That is so inspiring because I do want to get to a point where we cannot physically count the number of shows that we exist on, that we cannot count the number of books, the TV shows, the all these things. And, and I hope that many of them and the most of them actually work to positively uh, reinforce the good stereotypes and reinforce the good values that we want to um, exercise in uplifting um, all of us. Let's talk about legacy a little bit. Um, you, you've done a lot already. You've hit some milestones and you've put a, an amazing and an insanely amount of content out there into the universe. What, what's the Sheena Yap Chan legacy look like 20 years from now? Oh my gosh. Honestly, I mean, before I used to feel like I need to do something crazy to be known for. But for me, it's just, I just want to help people out there. I just want to make a positive impact in the world. I don't even care if I get recognized for it or not. I just really want to help people. And especially like, you know, Asian women just like realize their worth, know that they deserve happiness because that's something we're not taught. Let them know that they are just, you know, they are perfect just the way they are because we still have this notion that we have to be perfect in order to for people to accept us. Um, for me, you can be imperfectly perfect. And I just want, you know, whoever's listening to realize like you have what it takes to go out there and live your dream life. It's not easy because if it was, everyone would be doing it, but it will totally be worth it on the end, in the end. That's the reason why we do it. I think it's impact and it's um, immeasurable impact, right? And, and And for some who might be thinking, you know, the impact also has to, means something tangibly for us to continue to do the work. Um, and I'll share with you, it's a long journey, but um, if you focus on the impact, uh, the income will come. You know, if you focus on the mission, the money will take care of itself to help you continue to do what you do because you are now in the realm of doing things at scale and to be able to touch thousands of people uh, with each of your episodes across the world to help build a brand new generation of people who are confident in you let alone, let's not even think about the audience, but the 700 plus women who've been on your show. What has that done for their confidence that somebody believed in them enough and that believed that their story was important enough to share a little bit of your time and your, uh, your, your platform with the world, um, which we don't talk about enough. We've had some guests. We've actually have now two shows that we've spun off from Dear Asian Americans with former guests of ours. Like that's something I'm very proud of because I haven't met any of these per people in face-to-face uh, -face, thanks to COVID, um, but we've developed a friendship and a mutual desire to share our stories 
um, one in the adoption space and the one in the parenting space where now we have separate shows sort of with these collective voices. And so, you know, this is a, a long-winded way of saying if you're out there and you're thinking about podcasting and you're thinking about starting any sort of platform, just do it. Ask for help. Ask for people around you. Ask for help from people like Sheena, people like myself. We are here to help in whatever way we can because when we grow the pie, we all win. And we need to, you know, just like, you know, we always point to Crazy Rich Asians or Parasite as sort of, you know, that's the singular moment in time that the world took Asian entertainment seriously. And it really isn't. It's It's been decades of work of, you know, countless people who've, who've built up to it. And um, we need to continue, we need to continue to contribute to that pie so that uh, one day we wake up and like I said, it's just everywhere um, uh, because our voices matter. Um, and if you want to get nerdy, we can show you all the data that we are the fastest growing, the largest disposable income, the most educated demographic. So advertisers love us. And so it makes sense. And I think for so long, um, and especially being immigrants in our countries, we've been told that our stories don't matter, that we've been told that uh, we still need to keep quiet, but enough. I, I think we need to own our own narrative and on a, on a democratized platform like a podcast, share your stories loudly and proudly, um, and you will change lives. Um, and many times that life changing starts with us, the people who go through the process of starting these shows. So I'm excited for the future, Sheena. Um, I, I know you are also extremely humble in the way you talk about your accomplishments and your vision and your mission for the future. I know that many people look to you as a source of leadership and inspiration in the podcasting space. Um, again, not for the metrics, but just the tenacity and the focus and the the consistency with which you've delivered this amazing uh, wave of content. So um, on behalf of so many people out there, uh, thank you for for doing what you've done. Share with us a little bit of advice from your perspective on somebody who might just be starting their storytelling journey or somebody who deep down wants to, but for whatever reason, they're a little hesitant. Um, what would you tell a young woman who have been in your shoes six years ago? Well, I know starting is the hardest thing to ever do because I know I've every time I start something, it's such a big battle, but you have to start. And once you start, you know, it'll be a lot easier and you don't have to do this alone. You know, you can ask for help. And I know we've been shamed into saying that asking for help is considered weak, but, you know, it's 2020 and you have to realize like things that work back then is not the same now. And so don't be afraid to ask for help because that will help you build the confidence to start your new project or start your own podcast. And you don't have to make big leaps. You can take, you know, small steps. It's these, really, it's like these small daily actionable steps is what yields the big results. Like I hit a million downloads because I've been doing this for five years. And people ask me, what's your secret? I'm like, I've been at this for five years. <laughs> you know, it, I, it didn't happen overnight. Not every day you're going to get a lot of downloads. There's days where it's like, you want to cry and there's days where you want to jump, but that's part of life. But the, the main thing is you just keep moving forward. And when you take, you know, a little step forward, a little step forward, a little step forward, you will get to your goal. So don't be afraid of like, you need to hurry up and, you know, win some race. Just, you know, go on your own pace, focus on yourself, ask for help, you know, surround yourselves with like-minded people. Now that we have the internet, there's so many resources out there that you can join or so many groups, Facebook groups that you can join and just know that you're not alone. You can't get to a million until you get to one. Yeah. People are so afraid of that. They, they look at the big number and they go, I can't ever do that. Right. They'll look at your 800 episodes and go, I can't ever do that. Well, you can't get to 800 unless you have one, unless you have two, unless you have three. Um, I'm, I'm sure you can upload all 800 episodes at once if you're crazy, but it happens. It, it happens in sequence and it happens a little chunk at a time, right? It's that old saying, like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so uh, I, I think you uh, live your actions and you live your lessons. And so, again, so much thanks uh, for what you do and, and what you mean to so many of us. And so I know it's not easy, but continue to do what you do and to kick ass. And we are so excited to read your book and your story next year. For those interested, we'll put the links in the in the comments um, so that you can, or in the show notes rather, uh, so that you can learn more about uh, where you can find Sheena 
and learn about her current and upcoming projects. Shina, we want to end the show in the same way that we end all of our shows, and it is the Dear Asian Americans letter. And would love for you to help us close out the show and share something that you want with our community, whether it is a message of hope, inspiration, or just things that you wish you had learned years ago. Share something that you'd like to share with our audience and our community by helping finish out the show with the letter, Dear Asian Americans. Sure. So dear Asian Americans, I know this year hasn't been the greatest for most of us. I know we've been stuck in a bubble or in a house or have been on lockdown and times are tough. But I want you to know that there's always better days ahead and we can get through this. And I know we crave for representation so much, but I want you to realize if you really want that representation, it really has to start with yourself. And don't worry if, you know, you have zero influence because we all start from zero. I started with zero. Jerry started with zero, but we build it bit by bit. And like I said, take it step by step. Don't worry about making big leaps. It's because those small daily steps is what makes the big results. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Do your best to live your life because it's not always easy. And we're here for you. Ditto to everything Gina just said. It's rewarding in a very different and unique way that you don't have insight into now. You know, sure, there are a lot of people making a good income and, and growing their business through podcasts. There's that. There's also the network that you will grow. There's also the friends that you'll meet, you know, across the different shows that I've done here on my end, you know, we're north of 200 episodes and I've seen two people. And so you use the virtual situation that we have to your favor and and just do something. Um, let's help grow the pie. And, you know, I'm sure Sheena would like to guest on your show. You know, we'd like to do as well. So whatever it is, find your voice and find that opportunity. And as, as the name of Sheena's show, you know, just perfectly suggests, like find that self-confidence in you and help share the stories that might inspire somebody else one day. So excited for what's to come in the future, Sheena. Thank you so much for your time and for all that you've done for the community. Looking forward to hearing more from you. And, um, you know, uh, let's celebrate when you get to a thousand. Let's celebrate when you get your books. But let's also celebrate every day that your show uh, has and continues to change. Uh, Asian women's lives across the world. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, really, always so fun to talk to fellow podcasters about their journey, about what challenges they go through, because this journey certainly is not an easy one. Um, and joy and fulfillment and happiness comes in so many different ways. And so to every single person who is listening right now and whoever has listened to even a single episode or even a minute of The Asian Americans, Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It means so much, and it does help us continue to the work that we do. Um, if you want to support us in different ways, you can do that in one of two ways right now. One, you can head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Americans and make a financial contribution to the show so we can continue to do what we do. Or if you would rather leave us a review and a five-star rating over on Apple, please do that. Uh, those really help other people discover the show. And let's Apple know that you are loving Dear Asian Americans. If you haven't yet, please follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, as well as on Twitter at Dear Asian Am. And engage with us. Shoot us a note or shoot me an email. Hello at DearAsianAmericans.com. Thanks again so much from the bottom of my heart. Join us in 11 days at the Asian Podcast Awards. You can learn more at AsianPodcastAwards.com as we celebrate and give out some awards to some deserving fellow Asian podcasters. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. This has been your host, Jerry Wan of The Asian Americans, and I wish you health and happiness as always.